Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But if you're ready to level up your life and get results that truly matter in your health, business, mindset, and relationships, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Sheer Madness, where we have unscripted, real conversations with the world's top athletes, entrepreneurs, and coaches. Discover real world and tactical advice from the best in the business. Let's go. I'm super excited to have you on my podcast here today. I know Bedros has said such incredible things about you, and I've done my fair share of creeping here over the last uh, few weeks since we initially chatted. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So for everyone listening today, Dr. Mudgill is one of the few dermatologists to be broad certified in both dermatology and dermatopathology, which gives him a unique understanding of skin disease and allows him to have an approach to patient care that is both clinical and a cellular perspective. He was named one of New York's super doctors, which is an accolade bestowed to only about 5% of the physicians in their state. He's been featured on CBS, Fox, NBC, Yahoo, New York Magazine, Oprah Magazine, Men's Health, uh, Bustle Refinery, and a whole lot of other different features. The list literally goes on and on and on. But uh, one of the most incredible things, though, besides all of these accomplishments that really drew me to you, was not even so much all of the, the credentials that you have, but when I looked at your social media and your podcast, you were very impact driven, which I, I feel like is very rare. Um, I work with a lot of physicians myself being a functional medicine nutritionist. And I feel like it's hard to kind of have that balance between wanting to um, impact people in the way you do through personal development, through empowerment, which is just a, such a different field than just traditional medicine. So I really love your journey, and it's obvious that you have a passion for what it is that you're doing, and it really shines through with your work, and you can genuinely tell that you love what you do, and you really care about helping other people. So I'm excited to have you on my podcast, and I know you're going to have a wealth of knowledge to be able to share with my audience today. So thank you again. Wow. This sounds like I really know what I'm doing (laughs) with that that introduction. (laughs) Um, yeah. but thank you so much. You know, it's really great to be here and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a love fest because the feeling is mutual. I've been watching your social media as well. And I love all the stuff that you're putting out there too, which is, you know, for me, professional success is just part of the equation, you know, and then a lot of folks achieve a degree of professional success. And a lot of times additional professional success is really just to feed the ego. And, um, you know, like you said, I got to a point and I was talking to Bedros about this on our podcast, um, where I just felt like I needed to have more impact and affect the world in a broader way that, you know, brought value other than just me being a dermatologist and, you know, accumulating more, you know, practices and that sort of stuff. You know, I just knew there was a bigger, bigger mission for me. A bigger calling. Yeah, and from my perspective, and I'm sure the millions of other people who consume your content on a daily basis, like from the outside, you're like the epitome of success with everything that you're doing. You're a doctor, prestigious title, and then all these other achievements that you made. But in my opinion, you know, getting on the topic of success is that it's, it's a very relative 
to to each person. And it also has a, a varying definition. I think it's it's very applicable and it's not the same definition for each person. So um, how, how would you define success in your own words? I love that question because that's a question I frequently yeah. ask my guests on my podcast. Um, you know, so for me, and this is something I learned along the way, success is really embracing the hustle and grind of whatever it mm-hmm. is your journey to your goal is. And like wh- what I mean by that is, you know, you being a nutritionist and, you know, fitness expert, I love this line from fitness because I feel like fitness goals so align with life goals. And, you know, mm-hmm. someone doesn't, you know, success is a journey. I mean, a fitness is a journey, not a destination, right? Like that's this, yeah. a classic oh, yeah. fitness line. Success is a journey, not a destination. You know, you don't get into shape to finally get in shape and say, okay, you know, great. Now I want to eat like shit and stop working out because mm-hmm. you set a bigger and better goal for yourself. You're embracing the hustling grind of the process. You know, you get lean and you're like, okay, I want to put on more muscle. Then you put on more muscle. And be like, okay, now I want to get more cut or I want to get bigger or whatever your goal is. There's always a bigger, better goal. There's always something more mm-hmm. that you can do. The more you tap into your potential, the more little wins or even big wins that you accumulate in life, the more you realize you're capable of giving and offering and, you know, the more you're able to squeeze out of your own potential. And that to me is what success is. Success is realizing that, you know, like, so, you know, just taking it back to my story, you know, I grew up very humble beginnings. My mom was a single parent, Mm -hmm. government doctor. I had an older brother who was seven years older than me, you know, picked on, you know, bullied as a kid, had like, you know, seven year hand-me-downs that I was wearing, you know, and it was just, you know, really, it was, I worked for everything I had. I always had a summer job. I always had after school jobs. I always delivered papers. You know, my mom gave me everything that I needed, but I never had the things that I wanted. Right. So mm. I got to a point in my life and not saying that, that my goal was never to like accumulate wealth and, you know, and, you know, material stuff, but not having that growing up, it's kind of like, you know, once I started to have success as a professional, my practices were kind of taken off. I reached a level of of financial success that I never dreamed possible for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in the neighborhood where I used to valet park cars. I belonged to the country club where I had valet park cars before. Um, I was playing golf all the time. I had a bunch of people working for me. I had this sort of like, you know, successful business. And, um, you know, I had like a fleet of fancy European cars, like all of these things that I never mm-hmm. even dreamed of having. And I thought to myself, wow, like this is, I arrived like this is what it's all about Mm -hmm. and that was a very short-lived period for me because I realized you know that really added no value like you know the whole the best part of all of that was getting it like not not, in other words working to be able to do those things and once I got there I was like okay that well now what am I going to do I don't want more I want more shit I don't want more I don't need another car I don't want another practice And, and I realized if someone could tell the young me that I could do it that, you know, like you, you, you could do it, you know, like you're this kid who's picked on and bullied and, you know, but you can really achieve things that you, if you mm-hmm. believe in yourself, you work hard and, you know, you never take your eye off of the wall, but get your little wins every day. You can do amazing things in your life. And I have that happened to happen to me, but if someone had planted that seed in my mind as a kid, you know, who knows when I would have started hustling as hard as I, as I do now, maybe I would have started as an eight year old kid that so, so it's a long answer, but now, you know, like, no, whatever I do, it's all in. And that to me is what success is all about because I'm trying to squeeze as much juice out of my potential as possible. You know, it's like that whole David Goggins, you know, you, we're only using 40% of, of our potential. And I really believe that, you know, and, and every little 
step I take, even in this new journey with the podcast and my social media stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, and I just finished my first book. Like any of those, any little step I take, it's like, wow, holy crap! I, I finished a book. Now I'm, I can write another book. Whoever thought I would write more than one book in my life, or just one book at all? But when you do it, you realize that wow, you can really do anything as long as you're willing to put the work into it. I, I love that. And it's always interesting to hear everybody's definition of success because it is so different. And one thing that you said there is it wasn't so much about the money or the cars or all of those incredible things that you were able to cultivate in the process. And once you got all of those things and you kind of just sat there, you're like, okay, sometimes we're like, well, now what? You know, and if we're focused always on that end goal, what I come to find is we find we aren't always satisfied at that point because it's really not always about that end goal. You know, it's not always about getting that six pack abs. It's not always about, you know, reaching the, you know, multi-million dollars with your business or whatever it is that that goal initially is. And it it normally starts out that way. You know, when most of us enter into our fitness journey, you know, we do it for maybe I want to get six pack abs. I want to look good in my bikini. We have this certain end goal that we want to obtain. And it's a great place to start. But I think what oftentimes we find is it's, it's more of who we become in the process. And that was really what I was taking out of what you were saying is you reached that part where you were kind of like, I have all these incredible things, but I just don't feel like I, you're, I'm not there yet. You know, I haven't done everything that I need to do. Like I'm not finished. And that's because this work is really never finished. And growth is something that's a continuous thing that we do on a daily basis. We don't just get to the end all and stop growing and be like, all right, I'm good. I'm there. It's a daily practice that we do every single day over and over again. So I love the part about, you know, it being it's growth that we have on a continuous basis versus that end goal. And I think that's something that's, it's, we understand it, but it's hard to believe that as well too. We always think, you know, the perfect body, the money, the cars, the perfect relationship is going to make us happy, but it's really about who you become in that, in that process. And I bet if you could go back and talk to the younger um, version of you, you know, the one who was bullied and maybe a bit more insecure, um, you know, and telling him about all these things that you were going to do would be almost like, really? Like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to do all those things. Yeah. And it's just crazy to look back at all of the things that we've been able to do. And I think even looking back at the, like, I know the person who I was when I was younger, I was shy, I was introverted. I was bullied myself a little bit. So I relate to that story. Um, in a lot of ways. And it's something that I've had to overcome and step into a new version of myself every single year. And I think that's what's so incredible about personal growth. And another thing you said there is, you know, being all in, you know, and I think that's really the key, no matter what it is that you're doing, just going all in. So many people want to maybe start a fitness regimen, but they're really not going all in. They're half-assing it. They're you know, they're still having all the, the cheats. They think that they can do like a quick little fad diet. But if we were really to go all in in everything that we want to achieve in life, you know, the results would be outstanding. And I think you're, you're a true example of that. I saw something, you know, on your Instagram that I really, really enjoyed. And it was you talking with this young man. I think he was like a valet parker. And you were telling him, Um, kind of along these lines about how you were able to achieve it and you were in very similar circumstances him can you can you share that story with my audience 
Yeah, actually, I love this story. So there's a there's a restaurant in uh, I live on the North Shore of Long Island, which is mm-hmm. you know, sort of like it's like a fancy part of of Long Island where I never even knew what the North Shore was. I grew up on the South Shore, which is a very like, blue collar, you know, it's it's uh, you know just a regular old neighborhood, you know. And uh, we used to come to the North Shore to work when I was in college because that's where all the nice restaurants were and all the you know mm-hmm. the, the affluent people lived. And I remember even when I was I was probably like 19 at the time. I was between my freshman and sophomore year of college, and I was working at this restaurant called Matteo's, which is this fancy Italian restaurant. And, you know, like folks would drive up in like their Ferraris and their BMWs and their Benzes mm-hmm. and you know cars that I'd never even really seen and. The houses there were like crazy. I was like, you know, who are these people? Like, you know, what is this place? <laughs> like the, yeah. all these fancy houses and and like, you know, con- golf clubs and fancy cars. And so I used to Valley Park cars there. And there's a couple of funny, there's a couple of interesting things I learned from that experience. So one is I love the job. So I was always fascinated with cars. And it was like my dream job, being able to Valley Park cars and, you know, park all these fancy cars. So I had worked multiple jobs, you know, I delivered pizzas, I, you know, I did, I did everything, right? So one of the things mm-hmm. that I learned is like, and this is also something that I've carried with me till now is for some reason, I and mean, this is a very, this is a, a really harsh overgeneralization, which I don't want to be judged for, but just as a young kid, the fancier the person's car was, the less of a tip they would give me, you know? So oh, really? it's, it, it and even when I delivered pizzas, the fancier house that I delivered a pizza to, I'd get like the worst tip. So when I used to go to like some deliver pizza huh. by someone's pool and they were hanging out by their pools, like this really fancy house, I'd get like a dollar tip or 50 cent tip or something. But I used to go into the blue collar neighborhood and deliver the, a pizza to like a multifamily unit home, I'd get like a $5 tip. And I, I always was like, what's the deal? Like, why is that? It seems like it's so it's like it's almost an oxymoron it's an ironic situation like you know like someone with wealth is not giving me any tip and i remember one guy was i think it was like a it might have been like a rolls royce or something that i was parking and he he literally gave me like change like he gave me like 25 cents or something it was like almost like insulting you know but anyways that's that's a diversion so i always i'm a very generous tipper and i've always been because of the jobs that i've had you know, mm-hmm. and my wife was like, this is crazy, these tips you're giving, you know, but like for me, it's like I know who this kid is that's working this job. So so now fast forward like 20 years, we live in the neighborhood that I was valley parking cars in and we go to this restaurant every once in a while called Mateo's. And I, I had a Bentley at the time and I was uh, I was driving, you know, we drove to the I was with my wife, we drove to the restaurant. And I always like like to keep my car like in the front. So it's not getting, I I used to valley park cars, so I know the deal. Like I don't want it to be like dinged and all that stuff because you know valley mm-hmm. you know, we're kids who are valley parking cars they're not like super careful with the cars so i always say hey man just leave my car if you run this leave my car up here i give the guy like 20 bucks to leave my car up there and um the kid you know the kid was just like so appreciative he's like wow that's so nice and i told him i was like you know i had that same exact job 20 years ago i had that same exact job valley parking cars at mateo's the kid was like you know it, it, he was literally i was just looking at him like he was me and like, you know, the best thing about working for Mateo's when I used to work there was they used to give you like a real glass and you used to be able to go in and get as much soda as you wanted. And I thought that was like, for me, that was such a luxury to be able to have mm-hmm. that. You know, like they yeah. were nice to us. They gave us free soda and like a real glass, you know. I was like, this place is so fancy, you know. And, you know, living on the other side of that and seeing myself in that valet, like, you know, mm-hmm. God, I wish someone told me that when I was a valet. You know, it's really powerful when you see someone in a position of power, a position of success that really, you know, we're all the same, you know, and for someone to, 
and and a lot of times like folks ego and stuff gets in the way but you know like just being so far into this journey if i can empower one person 10 people you know whatever the number is if if that kid remembers 10 years from now man that guy was so cool and so nice to me and he encouraged me that you know and he really made me believe that i could really do something substantial you know there's nothing better than that that's like the most powerful best gift i could give to anybody in the world you know I love that story. And I think it's easy when you're young to look at people who are successful driving those nice cars and to be like, you know, I could never reach that level of success or get to where they're at. But kind of like your story, you were there, you were that guy doing parking the valet cars. Um, I used to be a server myself. So I kind of relate to the tipping part as well, too. And I always tip servers very well, because that was like one of my first jobs. And I would bust my ass waiting tables you know, and then I would get bare minimum tips. And it was like, we worked for our tips, kind of like the same thing. So, you know, I've been there and it's easy to look at people like you and think like it was an overnight success. But I also kind of have gotten to know your journey, you know, and everything that you've walked through. And it hasn't been an overnight success. And you've learned a lot throughout the process. So I really want to dive into your story. Um, One thing I found interesting was kind of your story in school, and uh, kind of like with the memorizing and yeah. um, how you were really, really good at that, but you never really tried very much in school, did you? No. So I, I mean, one of the things that I have is just like a wicked memory, you know, like I can, yeah. and it was, I didn't realize how good it was uh, and, until like, you know, of course, like you're in school and you're sort of comparing with other folks and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it really would take me a 10th of the time to like memorize something, to take a test. And so I literally did, I used that as that was, okay, cool. That's my crutch. And I would literally, I never, it was a game to me. Like school was always a game to me. Like what's the minimal amount I could do to get an A? And I wasn't a good student. You know, I wasn't a good student early on. So I kind of, you know, I was like, you know, being bullied and all that sort of stuff. And like middle school was really hard mm-hmm. for me. And, you know, I, I just, I, I was just really lost and I didn't even focus on school. You know, I, I was literally getting C's and D's at times. It was really bad, but I was always like, people always thought I was a smart kid. Like even like I was always good on standardized tests and those sorts of things. Right. So I was always in like, (laughs) oh yeah, Yeah. I was, I had the worst memory ever. So yeah, Yeah, I was always jealous of people like you. (laughs) Everyone, everyone has their strength, you know, but, um, so, you know, in high school, by the time, like by the time I was my sophomore year of high school, I actually, my mom, like my brother, who's seven years older than me was really studious, like model citizen, great kid you never got into trouble and i was like the exact opposite but because my brother went through the same high school as me she knew that okay there's certain classes you need to get into like ap european history was a class in like 10th grade that you have to get into to get in on that ap track for colleges and all that sort of stuff right so i you know whatever i was like okay fine so i was ninth grade my mom talked to the guidance counselor says listen my son needs to get into this class and they're like there's no way he can get take that class he's like not you know he's a horrible student like you know he's gonna get crushed in that class she's like i don't care you know back then like parents could really kind of twist the arm of the school district and that was the one thing my mom cared about it was just academics so she got me into this class ap european history and it was like the first time i was actually with other kids who were like really really smart but they were cool like they were like you know and i became friendly with these two guys who to this day are still two of my best friends in life and uh, we would we would form this like study group, the three of us. We'd study for exams, you know. And literally, it was a game for us because back then it was nothing was PC. So the teacher literally used to put like the three high, the ten highest grades on the blackboard, you know, like other 
got a hundred, you know, he, and it was, it was not like nothing was PC. So it was all like, you know, he would literally put like the 10 sc- grades on the board. And, you know, of course the other kids in the class would feel bad, but you know, it didn't matter back then. This was like in like the early nineties. Right. Um, so, you know, we always had like the highest grades, me and my two friends, you know, we'd study together, but they were really smart too. So we would just literally hang out, like listen to like mm-hmm. grateful dead music and like, you know, fuck around, but then study and, you know, do really well in these exams. So, for me, it was always a game. Like, you know, we always wanted to be at like the top of the list. I did the least amount to study using my memory as a crutch, you know. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got all my shit together, I was still kind of because I goofed around so much in ninth grade. I was basically rejected from every I, I, lo- I looked at when I applied for colleges. I looked my mom like was very into academics. So I looked at the U.S. News top 25 list of colleges. And I basically I think I applied to like 13 of them or something like that. You know, the Ivy League schools and a few other colleges kind of like quote-unquote safety-ish schools so i got rejected from every ivy league school just because you know my grades i'd already defeated myself you know early on in high school and i ended up going to emory university in atlanta which is a great school you know um Mm -hmm. but it was my safety school and i never even visited i just showed up to atlanta i packed up like my boxes showed up to atlanta the first day of school didn't know i knew emory was like in atlanta but i didn't know anything about school never knew anything about it but i went there with kind of like a chip on my shoulder that like okay you know what like i don't even really want to go to this school but I'm here and I had a great experience, mm-hmm. but it was really, really easy. So if anything, that's a, if anything's a testament to the public school system in Long Island, it's my experience at Emory because I did nothing, nothing, really? never went to class. And I remember my, my first semester, I got a three, seven, six, I got all, I, like two A's and a minus and I think a B plus in economics. And I went home and I showed my mom my grades. I was like pretty proud of myself, you know, like minimal effort, got three, seven, six, you know, did well. And my mom reamed me out. She's like, 376, she's like, what is this? She's like, I'm not paying for this private school if these are the crap grades you're going to bring. Like, you know, if you get another report card like this, you're going to go to state school. Like Stony Brook was a school in Long Island. And she wasn't kidding. Like, my mom was like hardcore, you know? And I was like, shit. I was like, all right, so I got to try a little bit harder. So I literally tried a little bit harder, and I never got anything less than an A for the rest of college. So I graduated like a 399 something, you know? like, And it was, I did nothing. It was really, it was, it was a joke. God. <laughs> so then I get I get to medical school and um, my first year of medical school, it's all the all the kids in my medical school class are from the schools I got rejected from. So, you know, Harvard, mm-hmm. Yale, UPenn, Princeton, all the kids in med school are really smart. You know, there was like 100 kids and first year of school, I, I got there and I was like, oh, shit. I was like, you know, this is the real deal. You know, these kids are really, really smart. You know, like and I, I just kind of, you know, I didn't even get into these colleges and they were all in med school together. I also got into medical school off the waiting list. So already I'm like, shit, I don't belong here, you know? Mm-hmm. So first year goes by. I'm right in like, I'm in the bottom of the top half of the class. So say there's 100 kids in the class. I'm ranked in like the 40s somewhere, you know? So I'm like better than average, but not near the top, right? So my buddy from college visits me between my first and second year. His name is Sammy Khan. He's an orthopedic surgeon in Atlanta now. And he asked me like, he was the exact opposite of me. So he was very smart, but he's also studied like crazy. He took learning very seriously. And it was always the two of us that had the highest grades in the class, you know, but he was, he respected the process of learning, you know? So he was, he was very studious, but also he could have done what I did, you know, but he was, you know, really studied and stuff. Yeah. So he comes to visit me and, you know, we're having a few drinks into the night, you know, and uh, he asked me, he's like, you know, so how are you doing in med school? And I said, you know, I'm doing pretty good, man. You know, like I'm, I honored a few classes. I passed a few classes. I'm, you know, I'm right in the middle of the class, you know, a little above the average, you know, but I'm doing pretty good. 
And I was like, how are you doing? He's like, oh, you know, I'm doing great. You know, I'm like at the top of the class. And, uh, you know, he looked at me and he's like, seriously, he looked at me. I don't know if it's because I was drunk and maybe, you know, smoked a little bit of weed or something like that. And it was like really kind of <laughs> looking into my soul. But he was like, uh, for once in your life, why don't you just try? And this is like my buddy. We're like 23 years old. And this is like what he says to me. And I'm like, wow. It really just hit me like a ton of bricks. So this, so, so my second year of med school, I still never went to class in medical school because all the classes were transcribed so you could study. So my first year, I would just literally go through the notes a million times, memorize as much as I could, bank it on my memory, you know, my wicked memory, and just take the test and you know, do fine. The second year, I actually read – I didn't read the notes a million times. I read them through once to learn them. So it might take me two hours to get through one transcript, but I was literally memorizing everything there and like trying to like get these concepts together, like really learn. And I have to tell you, it was, it was like one of those, ah, you know, like one of those like, <laughs> with the bright white light. Like I, it changed everything for me. Like I was like just understanding these cr- complex concepts and, it, it, and like, you know, really like bridging all of these crazy ideas together. And uh, it was like, you know, so if it were the average on a test would be like a 60, I swear I'd get like a 98, you know, like it was just, it was crazy, you know? And I just started to realize like, holy shit, like, you know, this is like nuts. Like, I, you know, when I realized that I was this pretty smart guy, you know, like it's not just, I always thought I just had a memory and like, you know, really didn't, was able to put these concepts together. But more than that, I realized how much effort like you know if you put effort in like if you double down on your gift mm-hmm. like kobe serena williams tiger woods bruno mars all these guys who have this incredible talent and they all would have been professionals in whatever they did they would have been average professionals had they not worked as hard as they did yeah. but be, they were elite amongst the elite because of the effort that they put in and mm-hmm. like from that day i do that with everything that i do so i work tremendously hard on my weaknesses you know like I'm not genetically gifted with a good physique or a great metabolism. So I work insanely hard at that and I'm super meticulous. And the thing that I'm good at, you know, like I have good memory. I, I like now with academic stuff, I'm really, I double down on it. You know, like I, I don't take the pedal off because I'm good at it. I don't take my foot off the pedal because I'm good at it. I keep the accelerator going down. And I'm still trying to grind as much as I can out of that, you know? And it was really just such a valuable life lesson, you know, really just Sammy, I owe a lot to Sammy Khan. No, I think that's an incredible lesson. And really the golden nugget, which I speak to quite a bit, is genetics don't work unless you do. You know, people look at me oftentimes, and I do have more some genetically gifted physique. My abs are a bit genetic. Yeah, um, ridiculous. <laughs> they're, they're like, you're like a 28-pack. I was like, I, look at a, I think you posted a picture yesterday or the day before. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> but then also, if you go back to the beginning where I wasn't really working out, I wasn't you know doing the same new things I was doing with nutrition, I didn't have the physique that I had. I had some genetics there, definitely, but I was not putting in the work. I was eating unhealthy. I was partying in college. I mean, I wasn't living the lifestyle, even if I had the genetics. So it's kind of going back to exactly what you said. I mean, you had a God-given talent with memory, which I am incredibly jealous of because I was the kid in school who like, I, I have the worst memory ever, but I had to work that much harder than everybody else because I just didn't have the best memory. But then there's other areas I had a lot of strength in. But when you were able to put in the effort and actually try, like your friend said, 
that's when everything really took out. So you actually got to my next point, which was uh, something I'd heard you say before, which was double down on your strengths and gifts and then work harder on your weaknesses. And um, do you put the same amount of effort into your weaknesses? I know like when we go to the gym, oftentimes like I just want to work on legs and booty because (laughs) that's my strength. That's my area that I'm good at. And I tend to just like neglect everything that I'm not good at. And I think we don't always want to work on either to the things that maybe are a weakness. We kind of just want to, we're good at this and we just want to keep getting better at this. So do you work equally on the things that you feel like you're, you're not, I guess. Yeah. So, so like yesterday, so with fitness, I'm not genetically gifted with fitness, but I've made an incredible Mm -hmm. fitness transformation over the last eight years. And, you know, it's really been being super meticulous to my nutrition, to my workouts. And, um, I work hard. I work really, really, really hard. Like if someone were to see me now, like today, they're like, Oh, this guy's always been in shape. He's huge. You know, he's, you know, he's always, you know, he's probably was an athlete as a, you know, in high school and it's always been funny. Mm-hmm. It's the exact opposite. I was like the skinniest fat guy, you know, flabby, man boobs, gut, the whole nine. You never know with my shirt on, but you'd be I was soft. I was like, you know, just like yeah. jello, you know? And I worked incredibly hard at it. And um so like yesterday was leg day and I mm-hmm. uh so Wednesday is now be- <laughs> because of like all the corona stuff going on. Like I do virtual consults from home. So I was home and Wednesday's like they have a gym at my house, which was like one of the best things I ever spent money on. Um and so what I generally do is I'll, I'll fast and then I'll have a meal and then I'll work out. But my consults mm-hmm. like went on forever yesterday. So it was like 2.30 and I still hadn't done legs and I hate leg day, but I, you know, I have to do it, you know? So I had like my power oatmeal, you know, um, that I just get like pre-made as like, you know, like whey protein, oatmeal, a natural peanut butter and some nuts and stuff like that. And then I worked out an hour after that and uh, it was, it was really rough and I, and I, and I, I had mm-hmm. every reason not to work out yesterday you know like i could have easily been like now nah, you know it's not i just can't you know my consults went late my nutrition wasn't really in check today you know i'll just skip it you know and you know 10 years ago i would have done that i would have just skipped it I'm like yeah you know whatever i'll just i'll just pick it up the next day mm-hmm. but i have like a pact with myself no matter what like i'm getting my win for the day so for me like i have to work really hard at fitness and nutrition not so much nutrition but fitness i really have to work hard at if I don't get my win for that day, then I go to sleep feeling like a failure. And I never mm-hmm. want to feel that way. So, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot is when you have a goal and, you know, you have to get your daily wins to get to your goal, right? The problem I think a lot of folks have is that they're not hard on themselves. So it's you have to forgive yourself. Everyone screws up and it's important to forgive yourself, but you can't be easy on yourself. You know, you yeah. have to be hard on yourself and expect yourself to do things. And like, you know, literally that's what motivated me yesterday. You know, but we had, my wife was coming home from six at six o'clock and we were supposed to take the kids out for dinner. So I had this like limited window, you know, I had to pick up my car from getting service. I'd like every reason not to work out, but I said, you know what? There's no fucking way I'm going to go to sleep as a failure tonight. Mm-hmm. And you know, I grinded it out, you know? And like today, like just because I usually use Thursday mornings to work out, we're doing this podcast and I have a bunch of other stuff like lined up for the day. So I didn't do my cardio yet, but like in my mind, I'm figuring out my time. Okay, you know, I have a half hour window right there, you know, between like three and three thirty. I'm gonna bang it out and get my cardio done before like whatever the other stuff is for the day. Yeah, you have to you have to be accountable to your goal. You have to be and you have to be hard on yourself if you mm-hmm. screw up for the day. 
You know, so I post to Instagram every day. I post to TikTok every day. I have my stuff I need to do for fitness and nutrition. I have the stuff I need to do for my job. I have the stuff I need to do for my dogs. I have the stuff I need to do for my kids. I've got the stuff I yeah. need to do for my wife. But you just have to get all that shit done. You know, you have to organize your day and get everything that you need to get done for all facets of your life. Yeah. And I think it's also looking at what is the one thing that I can do today? Have you heard of the book, The One Thing? I love it. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, so yeah. I, it's one of the first five books I read when I started this journey. Um, yes. It's a great book. Yeah, I asked my buddy for five books. Like when I started like this whole, this was like, it must have been October of 2017. I was talking to my buddy uh-huh. who's a really successful entrepreneur. I said, listen, like I love The Rock. Everyone loves The Rock, you know? And he was like, you know, what is your mm-hmm. goal? I was like, I want, I want to be the doc. You know, I want people, I want to be like The Rock, you know, really influence people in a positive way. I was like, just give me five books, man, that you think I need to read. So the one thing was one of the mm-hmm. books that I gave you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. And especially when, like you said, you have all these things that we have to do on a daily basis between like your kids, your dog, your work requirements, there's fitness. It starts to get very, very overwhelming. But I think that's just a a nice way to look at it is what is the one thing that I can get done today? And even if everything else doesn't get done, what is the number one most important thing? And oftentimes what I do myself and I have my clients do is I, you know, more than just making a list, but also ranking. Um, what is the order of importance as well too? You know, like for me doing this podcast was number one for me to do today to get this done. And if I get this done and we do it well, you know, without it all cutting out, like <laughs> with all my technology issues I've been had, then that's a win for me today. And then I can kind of move down the list with the order of importance. But it's when we create a, a checklist too, it's oftentimes like we just want to scratch out and we kind of look at it as equal equivalents, but we really need to rank. And then especially even bringing it down to the one thing, because it's just going to be easier to look at it that way. And, um, you know, you know, speaking to fitness, you know, you've had quite the transformation there kind of going back to that story that you were sharing and it, you know, what kind of prompted you to make, want to make a lot of those changes in your life? I think it was like eight years ago, correct? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting story. So, um, I'd always kind of like, once I was in medical school, so I was like my twenties, I'd always like worked out, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'd always like gone to the gym and like, you know, whatever did the shit that people usually do when they don't know what they're doing. I do a little cardio, a little weights, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't really know what I was doing, you know, but I would just, I was like going through the motions and, we have three kids and I was working out during the whole time we had three, we were having our kids, but somehow I, and I had a trainer and stuff like we were living in the city. I belonged to Equinox and I had a trainer there, but somehow like every year I was just looking worse. And like, I just was, you know, I was getting softer and flabbier despite like working out like, you know, at least three or four times a week. And it was this, it was uh, Thanksgiving, I think 2012 Thanksgiving or maybe Thanksgiving 2011. My brother-in-law, who my, my, my wife's brother, he was like just jacked and ripped in his 20s. Like, you know, just mm-hmm. super ripped. And, you know, he kind of let himself go with his kids. And we were sitting on the couch and he had a beer on his belly, you know, and I had a scotch on my belly. And he looked over at me and he goes, <laughs> dude, he's like, what happened? Like, wh- what happened to us? I was 37 at the time or maybe 36 at the time, 36 or 37 at the time. And he's like, dude, let's make a bet. He's like, let's see who's going to get in the best shape by Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. So I think this was like October 2012 or some, or, or, or Thanksgiving 2012. So I was like, all right, game on. Let's do this. So I, t- t- I hired a trainer at Equinox. who's still like one of my best friends, Rasan Robinson. And we were living in Long Island at the time. And I said, dude, listen, this is the deal. Like I have a bet with my brother-in-law and I need to get like, we, I need to get, try to get a six pack in like six mm-hmm. months. You know, so I was 196 pounds, 20% body fat, you know, so I was pretty flabby. 
Mm-hmm. And I got that to 154 pounds, 8% body fat in six months. Wow. Um, and just being obsessed, like literally obsessive. I, I literally looked like I was dying. So like people would see me and they'd <laughs> say, hey, man, wow, you lost a lot of weight. You look great. And then they would turn to my buddy and be like, dude, is he all right? Like, does he, is he on chemo yeah. or something? Because he, you know, he looked terrible. But uh, so when I talked to my trainer, Rasan, I said, he's like, what's your goal? So this is, in, this is around Thanksgiving of 2012. I said, I want to get ripped and jacked. And he looked at me. He's like, dude, okay. It's going to take you three years. And I was, mm. like, I was like, okay, let's do it. And he's still, you know, I still work with him now years later. Um, so like I, I cut down all the fat and I looked like I was dying. And then literally since then, since Memorial Day of 2013, I've just been trying to put muscle on like lean bulking, mm-hmm. you know, and now I'm like 200 pounds and like, you know, like low double digits, like probably 11% or 12% in that range. Um, and like, you know, every year I try to put 10 pounds on, you know, or five pounds on of muscle and, you yeah. know, it, but it's, listen, it took it's not you know, so folks that see me now like oh this dude's in great shape you know there's so much work that went into that and so much like mm-hmm. attention to my nutrition getting up at four in the morning to do cardio and lifting and making sure you know and there's so much so much various manipulations that i've done intermittent fasting carb cycling this that and other thing, you know really yeah. reading about fitness and getting to know about it and you know becoming like a pseudo you know armchair expert on it just because i've lived it you know just from empiric experience um but it's possible, you know, so anything is possible. I never thought I would have like, uh, like pecs and a back, you know, like I just never thought that was possible. Right. Never. If you, t- as a kid, I was just like, you know, these are my, like I had a great memory. I was like, I got a flabby body. Like I thought those were my, that was like, you know, I, I got a good memory and a flabby body. That's who I am. That's who I'm genetically. And I'd see like literally in gym class, guys would like change their shirts. I'm like, holy shit. They have like abs and muscles and shit. Like, how's that possible? You know, like how do mm-hmm. people have that? You know? And some folks are just genetically gifted with that. I'm not but I have to work really hard at it. Um, but now it's, it's amazing because now my body has changed. So like if I don't eat, if like we go on vacation, I always lose weight when we go on vacation now because I'm not getting enough protein or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing how you can make your body, the, the machinery of your body change, you know, just by years of working towards a, a, down a different road, you know? Yeah, it's kind of going back to what we said earlier, where like genetics don't work unless you do, but also like there are gonna be people who are more genetically gifted. But if the if you have all the genetics in the world and someone's willing to put in the work more than you do, they're still gonna surpass you like a million miles an hour. You could look at someone who has the best physique genetics in the world, but if you're the one up at 4 a.m. every single day, you're busting your ass in the gym. I mean, you're going to get the results, not the person who's just half-assing it all the time. So I think, you know, work far always is going to outweigh genetics. And that's really the golden nugget, you know, in a lot of these stories Mm -hmm. is hard work. And again, with your weight loss, going all in, going all in with what you were doing in that moment and not not half-assing it. Do you feel like, you know, along with the physique transformation that you made, you had like a lot of mental transformations that you made, you know, with the confidence. I always talk about like confidence, you know, we tend to think of it like if I have the perfect body, if I have perfect Mm -hmm. skin, you know, then I'll be confident. But I met so many women and men, you know, especially fitness competitors, fitness models who are very, very insecure. Um, and I think confidence is something that we cultivate from within. I think nobody's mm-hmm. born with confidence fully. It's something that we have to develop over time. And it's something that we have to develop, in my opinion, by 
doing the things that we say we're going to do. Like when you say, hey, I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning and I'm going to go work out. Or when you come home and you've had a long ass day of work with all your clients and you say, oh my God, I do not want to go to the gym today. I'm exhausted. But you know what? I made a contract with myself that I was going to go to the gym. So I'm going to get my ass up and I'm going to go in the gym. And then I think that done over time again and again and again is really what cultivates confidence. It's when we say we're going to do something and we actually follow through and we do it because we believe ourselves. And I think far often than not, it's just that continuous um, you know, self-betrayal that we experience over and over again, which really makes us question ourselves and our confidence. So I guess my question is, you know, you had this incredible fitness transformation with your physique, but do you feel like you had more of an inner transformation at the same time? Yeah, that's a great question. And three things, three things I want to say. One is I tell my kids all the time, this is something we were saying earlier. I mean, hard work beats talent. 365 and a half days a year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's one of the, you know, we were speaking about that earlier. I just wanted to throw it out there. So my kids actually make fun of me because I say that all the time mm-hmm. you know, when I'm trying to like encourage them. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, I think um, when you get wins in life, it makes you confident. You know, it's empowering. It's mm-hmm. self-empowering. So it's not that, okay, now I'm in shape and I'm confident. No, it's the process of getting in shape. It's It's the process of like pushing myself to the limit of getting up early or dialing in my nutrition. And to be honest, like nutrition is the number one important thing when it comes to getting fit. And I learned that, you know, when I was really tracking my macros, I was weighing my food, you know, people thought I was nuts, but like, you know, I have a scale and I, I, you know, measure how many cups of rice and how many cups of, how many ounces of chicken and whatever it is I'm eating, you know, but when you do that and you see things, when you, first of all, everyone's going to hate, not everyone, but in my world, everyone was hating on it in the beginning. They're like, this guy's oh, yeah. lost, his, lost his mind. You know, like, what is he you're doing? An like, you know, and my <laughs> wife was like, this is crazy. Like, you're so boring. You eat the same stuff all the time. And like, you know, you got to weigh your scale. But guess what? Six months later, like at, when she would cook something, I used to come home late from work. When I would come home on the countertop would be my scale, the mm-hmm. measuring cup, the rice. You know, folks become believers when they start to see that you're committed to this and you're making positive mm-hmm. change, you know. But that's what builds confidence. It's not. Yeah, and and, I, and I'll say, you know, for a lot of the fitness professionals, the reason why there's a lot of lack of confidence is because they're just getting shit on all the time. Like, you know, like you're like got like huge pecs, like bulging abs, like, you know, just fucking look like diesel. But you're being judged on like, OK, you're like slightly asymmetric. You know, your your left oblique could be a little bit more cut than your right oblique. I mean, this is like really micro dissecting someone who's already yeah. a specimen. And of course, that's going to destroy confidence. You know, like it's yeah. just. That's the way the models are the same way. Like, you know, I see a lot of models as patients in my New York City office and and like, you know, these beautiful, I mean, 10s, 11s, you know, like these folks are perfect. But in their mind, they're not because it's only their imperfections that people are addressing or talking about. And of course, that's going to defeat you. You know, you, 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 you either are positive, confident because of what's what you're doing in your own life. So little wins that you get and the people that you surround yourself with, you know? So yeah. like, I, 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 I talk a lot about, and this is something that it's not like me. It's just something everyone talks about, you know, the company you keep, you know, it's really important to audit your circle. And that, that's, and, and more important than that, it's important to audit who you allow to affect your mindset, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a circle that's very broad. A lot of people, you know, we hang out with a lot of people, but there's only a handful of people two, three, four people that I allowed, that I listened to, that I allowed to affect me, you know, like that, that's, 
the people that I admire, the people that I want to be like, the people that I that are that I feel like you know can help push me to the next level. That's who I'm listening to. Like you know, I don't give a shit what someone if someone is talking shit that you know hasn't accomplished anything that I'm pro- that I you know respect. What do I care what they have to say? You know, mm-hmm. it really it, you know it, I I think so. For me, my fitness journey was about. It gave me a lot of confidence. It gave me a tremendous amount of confidence because I was like, wow, I can do it. Like, you know, and I did it. Yeah. And now what can I do? You know, and, and it's not because I look different. It's because m- m- like I had all these wins over the last eight years. You know, I made all of these tremendous changes over the last eight years. And it's like I really pushed myself and, I've, and I'm way beyond what I ever thought my genetic potential was. You know, now I'm like, shit, now, what, you know, I, well, now what else can I do? You know, like what's my next goal? Well, I think you were able to overcome a a belief that you had about yourself too. You know, we believe like I'm not genetically gifted. I'm always going to be the person who's overweight. I'm never going to, you know, looking at these people who are ripped and in the gym and have six pack abs, I'm never going to look like that. So, you know, a question for those listening to ask yourself is, you know, what shirt have you been wearing that maybe you were wearing in your past that no longer fits you anymore, that, you, that you've that you grown out of? You've been wearing around the shirt that I'm overweight, obese, my family was overweight, you know, therefore that's all I'm going to be. And, you know, I think we do that so often is we were a certain way and we think this is all that I'm ever going to be. And I think a lot of that confidence, not only with following through on the things that we say we're going to do, it's it's overcoming these negative self-beliefs that we've ingrained in ourselves, whether they be from our childhood, from different, you know, traumas maybe that we've had, experiences early on in our life that just put these self-beliefs. Um, for me, like public speaking was a huge one. Like I'm an introvert. I grew up, I was shy, and there was no way I could get up on stage and speak to thousands of people, you know, and then I almost quit my first speaking gig because I didn't think that I could do it. I truly did not think that I could. But when I actually did it and I was able to prove myself wrong and it had nothing to do with proving anybody else wrong. You know, I could give a fuck of what everybody else thinks, but I believed I didn't think that I could do it. And I think that was the most important thing. And for me being able to change my own belief about myself and proving that I could do it, like for you to you know, I've never been that fit person and it's not your area. It's not your strength, but it was somewhat of a weakness for you. So you were doubling down on your strengths with, with schooling, but then you were also working on your weakness, you know, in these areas that you needed to. And now it's almost a strength of yours as well, too, with fitness. People that come to you and they're like, they ask you, I bet, for nutrition and fitness advice all the time. And it's something you're like, hey, you know, this is something that not did not come easy to me that I've had to work my ass off for to get. And I think you, you know, were able to overcome that innate belief that we had. So, you know, a question to ask yourself is what shirt have you been wearing that really no longer fits you anymore in your life? Yeah, I love that. So being um, a doctor, you know, with the whole empowerment kind of stuff that you do on social media, I feel like it doesn't really always fit with what the traditional, um, you know, doctors and that field does. How did you kind of combine the two and what made you want to do that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I love that question. So, you know, I think, so just kind of going back. So it was probably, you know, like October of 2017. I, so that, that summer where I felt like I had arrived, you know, I was, uh, it was, it was the summer of 2017 and I had a bunch of people working for me. I have two offices. I have one on Fifth Avenue in New York City and I have one in Long Island where I live now. Mm-hmm. 
And I had, a, you know, I had a couple of doctors working for me, a couple of PAs working for me. I was not working. I was still working hard when I worked. Um, so when I was seeing patients, like during my patient care hours, I'd see like 50 patients in like half a day, like, you know, working really hard, but also wasn't going into the office a lot. So I was playing golf like five times a week. You know, I, I think I had like a Ferrari. I was driving my Ferrari to the golf course. I was like, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is amazing. Like, I'm really, this is like, wow, I arrived. As that summer went on, I was like, this kind of sucks. Like, you know, like I'm not like working as much. Little things started kind of going wrong in my world. Nothing terrible, but like staffing issues and stuff. I just wasn't around a lot, you know, in my offices. And of course, like, you know, just things started not falling apart, but like, you know, there was like little issues. And and it really, I was like, I was it really forced me to just like think about myself and my life and like, you know, like, all right, you know, like what do I want to do? I was 42 at the time. And I'm like, well, what do I want to, what do I want to do now? You know, like, mm-hmm. do I want to do more of what I'm doing and just go back to the offices and work more? That had, I had no interest in that. You know, I, did I want to like, uh, buy more offices and expand my dermatology practices and do that? I don't want to do that. You know, I was, I'm already at the top of the game. Like I'm a top New York city dermatologist, like doing more of the same is like, what's the point of that? You know, like there's, I have no interest in that, you know, and I really just started looking within and like, what really, what do I want to do with my life? Like now I've like, I'm halfway through my life. It's, I'm 42. Yeah. I definitely don't want to be doing the same shit that I'm doing because obviously it's, I'm, it's not giving me a tremendous amount of satisfaction. Like I love seeing patients and I love doing what I do, but mm-hmm. that's not the only thing I want to do, you know? And I really just started thinking about what I want to do and really like spreading a message of positivity and empowerment just based on my own life experiences, which I think so many people could relate to just from on all fronts, you know, professional, uh, financial, fitness, family, all of these things, you know, like where I was living literally a dream coming from a broken family, you know, humble beginnings. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, like, this message could really help a lot of people, you know, and if I can help one, 10, a hundred thousand, hundred thousand, million, millions, who knows, yeah. you know? So I talked to my buddy and we were having dinner and I said, listen, man, I was like, I really want to be like the rock is basically what I said. I want to like, you know, really just touch as many people as possible, you know? And, um, and, and he's also a guy that has had like five different career transformations and he was a football player. Then he was a wrestler. Now he's an actor. Now he just, who does whatever he wants. You know, he has a tequila company, you know, it, always reinventing himself and is the hardest worker in the room. Right. And I'm, mm-hmm. no one's going to outwork me. That's just like, you know, I've always been like that. You know, if I'm going to grind, I'm going to grind. So I told him like, this is the deal. These are the little things that are happening in my business. I was like, give me five books to read, you know? So he gave me five books. He gave me the one thing. Mm-hmm. He gave me four hour work week. Uh, he gave me a book called the E-Myth Revisited, um, which is just like systematizing your business. Um, shoot. What are the other books? We gave me Gary Vee's Crushing It. And Gary Vee. <laughs> yeah. And, and, oh, and Greg Cardone's 10X Rule, right? Those are the five books. Okay. Okay. So I read all those books. I literally read them. I'm not kidding. So I used to read a lot when I was in college, you know, just like pleasure read. And then I had kids and my business and, and I didn't read, I, I stopped reading basically, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. He gave me those books in like October of 2017. By Thanksgiving, I'd read all five books and I was like, all right, I need more books, you know? So with each one of those books, I got something, you know? So with Gary V's crushing it, I was like, you know, I was like using social media. Why don't I start using social media and I'll, I'll post to Instagram and I'll post these little 
empowerment messages, you know, let me just, cause I never really, I, I was on Instagram, but never really used it. You know, like I think my last post on Instagram at that point was on like from like 2015. So I hadn't posted in like two years, you know? So I started posting every day. And so since March of 2018, I posted to Instagram every single day. I've not missed one day, not one, wow. never missed me. a day, <laughs> never missed a day. Um, so I also went to Gary V's, uh, the 4d session in May of 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, so since then I like, you know, I started mainstream, I started a podcast, I started a YouTube channel, I have a TikTok account. Yeah. I've, you know, all the, it's like the whole Gary V model, right? So <clears throat> people thought I had lost my mind in the beginning. So other dermatologists in New York city were like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, you know, what is he posting this stuff for? I was posting like some fitness stuff and I was posting some motivate mindset, motivational stuff. And, um, you know, people thought I was crazy. Like, why is this doctor? This, this successful dermatologist posting mindset videos. Like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, he's definitely lost his mind, you know? But then after doing it for so long and, uh, you know, it's something that I inherently believe in. I have a very strong belief in what I'm doing. And, you know, I don't care what other people say because generally it's coming from a place of their own insecurity or, you know, something that, you know, maybe some shit that's going on in their life that has no bearing on my life. You know, it's nothing to do with me. It's something to do with them. Right now, as time has gone on, it's like folks DM me, like, they'll be like, you know, when's your video coming out? Or I love the message you're putting out there. Um, because the bottom line is Rachel, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I'm a doctor. It doesn't matter what I do. You know, this is something that I believe in and it's actually made me much more human to my patients. Yeah. Um, I'm much more relatable. It's me. Like, you know, if this is, this is who I am and this is what I love doing. And I think understanding that and getting to a point where I was comfortable enough in my own skin and confident enough to really put myself out there. Um, it's been the best thing I've ever done. You know, like I love when like my patients were like, wow, I love that Instagram video you posted. It had nothing to do with dermatology. It was about like, you know, setting a goal or whatever it is, some fitness thing, whatever it may be some mindset thing. And they're like, wow, that really resonated with me, you know? And like, yeah. how awesome is that? You know, like their doctor, their dermatologist also is like, you know, like they're getting like little life pearls from, you know? I think it's, it's definitely not normal, but that's the thing. And, you know, when people come to me and talking about, you know, having to prep your food and weigh it out, it's not normal. But if you want to be normal, you can do what most of the population does. And most of the population is overweight. They have a mundane job. They do the same thing day after day. If I could literally take most people's lives, you could take the same day and put it over the next day and over the next day and it would look identical to the same. So if you want to get different results than what most people get, that you're going to have to do things that most people wouldn't do. You know, I think looking at it that like that way, like, oh, this isn't normal. Well, you know what? I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be like everybody else. And that's just a question you have to ask yourself. You're going to have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. There's been plenty of times where, you know, in, in social situations where I'm the one eating my healthy food, you know, my meal prep possibly, and everyone else is having pizza, they're drinking and all those different things. And sure, I allow myself to enjoy at times. But I also kind of look at it like, is this one moment of pleasure, you know, right now, this momentary satisfaction uh, more important to me than what my ultimate goal is. And for me, a period of time, ultimate goal was I wanted to be a bikini competitor. I was a fitness model. That was more important to me than that monetary satisfaction. So I think, you know, a note there is just, you're going to have to stand out and do things differently, you know, than what the average people are doing if you're wanting to get different results. And another thing too is oftentimes I think we're more burnt out 
not so much on doing too much, but not doing enough of the things that bring value to our lives as well. So like we're busy consistently on a daily basis, but if you're able to impact someone with what you're doing, and that doesn't have to be having a large social media or podcasting or anything like you're necessarily doing, but if you can help other people, I think that's going to add value and more purpose back to our life and purpose, in my opinion, you know, it has to involve helping other people as well, too. So like purpose, it's something that I think everyone's trying to figure out, like what is purpose? And in my opinion, purpose is not a job. It's not a title. It's not a relationship necessarily either. Your purpose is not being a dermatologist. You know, that is not your purpose, but your purpose is more so your desire to help and empower other people. Now, the avenue in which you do that will continuously change, maybe for a period of time. It's, you know, through dermatology and helping your patients, empowering them. And then through another period of time, it's through social media, maybe through speaking, through podcasting. Your purpose has always remained the same, but the avenue in which you've delivered that purpose continues to grow over time. So, I think when people get really depressed, you know, it's because we've tied our purpose to that job. Remember, I'm a, I'm a professional football player. I did a podcast with uh, Trent Shelton, and he was an NFL player, and he got, um, you know, let go from the NFL, and he went into a major depression because his whole purpose and his whole identity was tied around being an NFL player, you know. And it's a lot of people in relationships; they get out of a relationship and. You know, they don't even know who they are. Their whole purpose was tied up with being a mom, with being, you know, the wife, with, you know, having that prestigious title of being a doctor. And when those things can be taken away from you, we lose our purpose. So, you know, a question to always ask yourself is what is my purpose? But, you know, how is that impacting other people more so? You know, and that's really how I think we achieve value in our lives is through that impact of other people. Yes, I love that. You know, one, one of the things I was saying early on when I was doing this was, you know, my dermatology practice, I can touch 100 lives a week, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 150 lives a week. But with social media and the other stuff, I could touch thousands, millions even, you know. I just needed a bigger platform, you know, mm-hmm. to do the things, to spread the message that I want to spread, you know. And honestly, it's not – it's it's – I'm not monetizing any of it in any way. It's it's literally just it, but the, my dermatology practice actually funds all the social media stuff that I'm doing, you know? I think if you can say, I would do this without being paid, you know, that's a good question to figure out what my purpose is. Like if I would do this, I would do the podcasting, I would do the social media, I'd help all these people. And I don't care if I'm being paid. It's nice to be paid, you know, along with it, but I don't care if I'm paid because this is what my purpose is. And I'm going to fulfill that no matter what. Um, a couple more questions while we're getting here towards the end. You're obviously very, very driven. You're very, very passionate about everything that you're doing. Um, what do you feel like drives you to achieve all that you have and to want to make this incredible impact on all these people? That's a tough question, I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I, um, you know, I think initially it was coming from little you know, so I think a lot of my professional success mm-hmm. is from just never wanting to feel that way. You know, like never – it's stupid. sounds like a stupid thing to say, but like I, I didn't want to wear like uh, the Stride Ride brand sneaker like when everyone else was wearing Nikes. You know, I mean, 
I never wanted it because it's just setting yourself up to get picked on. You know, it, it built a lot of character for me growing up, but it really hurt a lot of times too. You know, like and you know sometimes really like reliving that feeling, you know, yeah. of like you know getting beat up at the bus stop or whatever it is, you know, or just getting picked on. That really fuels me sometimes. You know, it's like you know, like fuck that. Like I'm better than that, and I'm going to prove to the world that I'm better than that. Yeah, sometimes that chip on your shoulder can be a strength as well, yeah. too. You know, it's like don't take that chip away. Like Bedros talks about that a lot. It's like yeah. that chip on my shoulder of being an immigrant and having to bust my ass and coming from nothing. You know, that's allowed me to do all these different things that I've been yeah, able to totally. accomplish. So you know, totally. I like you know, there's always. As great as things look on the outside, you know, there's always like struggles that everyone deals with, you know, and of course. I use those hard times or times where I didn't feel great or times, you know, like I did something wrong and I felt really bad about it or something bad happened. I use that feeling, reliving that feeling to mm. make myself accountable to never let that happen again. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? So it's not like I'm down on myself and I'm wallowing in negativity. It's just that I know what that negative situation felt like. And no, I want to be having, in that position again. Yeah, it's having the awareness of, you know, this is where I've been and I never want to be there again, you know, yeah. and I'm going to do everything in my power to no longer feel the way that I felt back then and to become someone different, you know, and I think it's it's looking at it from that standpoint. And I think just having the awareness around those thought patterns and on a day-to-day basis, it's, we never really overcome those feelings either too. I think people think we reach a point where we just stop having negative thoughts or, you know, having these old self beliefs that were reiterated in our minds as a kid, but they're always there. But I think it's just having the awareness of, you know, that's no longer who I am anymore. And also changing our thought patterns revolving around those different things. Like, you know, maybe some, like what were some of the things you were bullied for as a kid? I wore glasses since I was like six years old. Um, uh, You know, I was the only Indian kid in my school. You know, it's a lot of racism. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just stupid shit that kids get bullied for, you know, having like whack clothes, (laughs) bad sneakers, you know, all all that shit, you know, like it's just, but kids are, kids can be really cruel like that, you know, they don't know know better. And there, yeah. and then, you know, a lot of times, like looking back now, like when you go back to like a high school reunion or whatever shit like that, yeah. With the perspective I have now, I realize that, like, you know, probably ninety percent of those kids came from really fucked up family situations, and mm-hmm. that's what was being fed into their minds. And you know, you're six or seven years old, you don't know better, you know. Yeah. I'm. I'm also very forgiving, so I don't hold resentment to those people, you know. To it's because I know they were broken. You know, and all of those things, it's never really about the person. It's about, you know, it's a projection of themselves. You know, when I was bullied as a kid, I had like the most crooked teeth ever. And now I had braces that you wouldn't be able to tell anymore. But these front teeth crossed and I had acne here, dermatologist. So I had the worst acne ever. It was like cystic acne. I could show you pictures of me with braces and all this acne. And you'd be like, holy moly, like (laughs) this is this girl. So I was like a little ugly duckling and, you know, and I was bullied, um, you know, quite a bit. I had this girlfriend who would always be like, when are you getting braces? When are you getting braces? And, 
you know, I'd be in the best mood ever and I'd be smiling with my crooked teeth. And then she'd just look at me and be like, when are you going to get braces? And it just like immediately like shut me down, you know, and just things like that. But, it, you know, that impacts people over time and they don't, we don't really realize the things that we say, you know, without thinking about it on a, on a daily basis, just comments like that and how it really impacts people especially when you're young as well too but it's also knowing now when you're older that those things that people said to you it's not always about you it's about like an insecurity in themselves I know on social media when people pick out certain things about me and nitpick with my body you know it's like I know they're dealing with things you know themselves and they have their own insecurities um you know Personally, I'm, if I'm confident in myself, I'm not spending the time going through social media, going through right. people's pictures, commenting on their physique, commenting and arguing on social media. I don't have, number one, I don't have the time to do that, but I don't care to do that. I'm way too focused on my own life and the things that I am doing. So the people who are doing that, who can take the time to try to, to break you down and to nitpick all these different things, whether it be your fitness model or about your business or just, you know, things you're talking about in your life, it's always going to be about them. And, you know, that's something that's hard to understand in the moment, but it's something I think we start to realize as we get older and we've all, you know, we've done it ourselves too. And we've young, we've been on, the, I've been on, yeah. been on the other side, but it's uh, just having that awareness around a lot of those thoughts um, yeah. as well too. Yeah. So I think like, so just to go back to like the additional question. So I think like from like a professional financial perspective, that's kind of what fuels a lot of that fire yeah. in me. Um, but on the other side of it, like the, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now, you know, I've always, I, I just since I was even a little kid, I always just loved the feeling of like when a new kid would come to school, kind of like showing them around or like really being of service. Mm -hmm. Like that was always the best feeling for helping an old neighbor walk their dog, you know, just mm -hmm. as, as a kid. These are the things I didn't know it at the time, but just that feeling that, you know, that, that I just love that feeling. Or if I'm able to do something nice for a patient. Or just, you know, like, it just feels great, you know, it just, I love, and I'm chasing that feeling with what I'm doing mm. on social media now. Like if I get like a DM from, I, I mean, I get so many DMs that are so amazing and that really yeah. just, I, they just really just motivate me so much to even do better and be better with the things that I'm doing on social media, you know, from kids that like, you know, want to be a doctor, but they're like the first person in their family that's going to go to college. And they always thought being a doctor was like such a nerdy thing. And I make it look cool. And they really want, they really want to do it because of that. And li little things like that. Or if I, you know, just messages I get from anybody, you know, like I got this amazing message from during the pandemic from this woman who was working at Home Depot. And, uh, you know, she was basically explaining in her message that she realized that there's a lot of negative negativity around her, but she's kind of like a natural born leader. And she's just, even though it's at Home Depot, which I'm not, you know, she, she was kind of poo-pooing her role working at Home Depot. But I, I just thought it was so amazing that she was taking it to the next level as someone who was kind of rally the other workers around her to be positive and like, you know, being a leader. And uh, I, that was so powerful to me, you know, that like, wow, like, yeah. who am I? what relevance do I have that what I'm saying is resonating with her and validating what she's doing in her life. And it just blows me away when with stuff like that, you know, and that's really, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, it's just a uh, spread positivity and spread a message of self-empowerment and to know that it's hitting, I, I don't know, you know, on some level it's, that's, that's what's motivating this shit that I'm doing, you know? Yeah. 
It sounds like it's been something truly innate in you since you were a kid with what you shared there, for sure. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I love it. Well, we appreciate you with all the information that you're putting out there and the the amount of lives they're impacting and are going to continue to impact. I know you've only just gotten started. I know you've done so much already with your journey and I'm excited. I know my listeners are excited just to see where you continue to go. Like I said, you have a lot more work you're going to do. And um, yeah, yeah. So I want to finish this podcast. I have actually a fun game we're going to play. And it's going to be fill in the blank. I'm going to say the first part of the sentence, and then there's going to be a big blank, and then you get to fill it in. Okay? Okay. I'm terrible at these. All right. I don't put up with... Bullshit. Bullshit. The last win I celebrated was... My 45th birthday. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The way I get out of my own way is. Just do it. You know, there's something I can just, I know this is a, I just want to interject with this game, but this is something Mm -hmm. that I think is so important. We all get in our own way. We all have negative Mm -hmm. self thoughts. We are like, holy shit, I have so much shit to get done. How am I going to do it? The way you get, the way you get through that wall is just do it. Start doing it. Yep. Action alleviates anxiety. If you're experiencing anxiety, take action and that will help alleviate it. A good friend named Bedros once said that. (laughs) All right, next one. Blank is a non-negotiable to me. Hustle. Hustle. All right, being a leader means? Being humble. Being humble. I like that. Health is priority number one. Priority number one. And my definition of wealth is happiness. Happiness. I love that. And, and freedom. Happiness, freedom, the ability to live your life on your own terms. I always yeah. like that one. Someone once told me that, like, so, you know, wealth is obviously defined in so many ways, but how they define wealth and this is something that i've kind of experienced in my in my own life because you know even growing up like we would never go out to eat like you know when we go out to eat when there was like a pizza hut coupon in the penny saver and that's where we would go like once a year or something like that or twice a year mm-hmm. like for me like my kids wanted to go out last night you know for dinner i'm like okay you know you don't even think about it that freedom is it's it really is an amazing thing or we go on vacation you know when when i was a kid we went to disney world we lived in new york we took a bus to Disney, you know, it was, it was at the time I was a kid. I didn't realize it, but you know, my kid, you know, just being able to have that freedom to do the things you want to do when you want to do them is, mm. is really why part of the reason why I work so hard too, you know? Yeah. I love that happiness and the freedom to live the life that you want to live. Yeah. It's incredible. Well, where can people find you, follow you on social media? What's the best place to reach you? So I am everywhere. You can find me on Instagram at, <laughs> at dr underscore mudgill. I am the most active there. I post every day. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, just my name, Adarsh Vijay Mudgill. Uh, YouTube, Dr. Mudgill YouTube channel. Uh, TikTok, it's dr underscore mudgill. I also post every day. TikTok, believe it or not, is my biggest platform. Oh, yeah? Isn't that crazy? I have, yeah. I have- 
have yet to hop on the TikTok, TikTok, I don't even know what it's called, the TikTok uh, bandwagon. I, I, I'm feeling the pull, but have not uh, bit, bit the bullet yet it's, there. It's, it took me a while <laughs> to kind of figure it out, but but it's actually a really, really fun platform. Um, I, my, my podcast, the Dr. Michael podcast is wherever you listen to podcasts. And I think that's everything. I think that's everything. My, my website, michaeldermatology.com. Well, I'll be putting all of those links in the show notes if you guys want to go check out Dr. Mudgill. He posts every single day, like he said, and it's incredible wealth of knowledge and information, empowerment, motivation. So we all need more of that in our lives. I know that I could use a little bit more of that from time to time. So I'm going to be following him, consuming your content. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I look forward to your bright star too, to see where, where that takes you. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey everyone, I hope you got a lot of value from today's episode. And if you did, share this episode with a friend that you think it could help. I also love to hear from you guys. So leave me a review. Let me know of some upcoming people you'd love to hear or have on this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed today. This has been Sheer Madness.